Well, again, good morning. Thank you for being with us today. So glad to see each and every one of you. So honored to be here and worship with you all today. We're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. We're about 11 weeks into the book of Hebrews now. We're going to be in the 10th chapter today. And if you remember, as we've been going through this book of Hebrews, we keep seeing a couple of themes constantly over and over and over again. And and by this point, some of you could probably tell what I'm about to say. Throughout this book, we keep seeing how these Old Testament shadows point to the fullness that is found in Jesus Christ. We see how everything under the law in the Old Testament was just a shadow pointing us to Jesus in one way or another. And we also have seen how Jesus is continually proven to be greater than everyone else and everything else. He's greater than Moses, than Abraham, than the high priest Aaron. And the past few chapters, the writer has focused in on this idea of Jesus' priesthood. And what has happened, not only because we have the true great high priest that the law has pointed us to, but what has happened because of that and because of his sacrifice. Last week, we looked at the blood of Jesus Christ. We looked at why blood was even necessary. We saw that when there's a will involved, the death of the person who created the will has to occur before the benefits are received. And we understood this from a human perspective. If we were to inherit the land of, a, of our father or our mother, we understand that we won't get that inheritance until they have died. And so the same, it goes under the covenant, as the author tells us. But also we saw how that blood is required for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible straight up tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. We saw from the Old Testament how Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the life is in the blood. The wage of sin is death, so it must be paid in blood for sin to be forgiven. And this week, what we're going to see is, as we continue this, you've got to remember, in the manuscripts, whenever the authors were writing the letters of the New Testament, they didn't separate everything by chapters and verses. Those are things that we went in and added later to help us make sense and find things. But this entire section we've been in is just kind of continuing to dive deeper and deeper into this portion of theology. And it's so vitally important for us to understand what the author is saying here. Because if we don't understand the intent of the new covenant, if we don't understand our relationship with the old covenant, we are bound to put ourselves under burdens and chains that we have been freed from. It is vital that we understand the truth that Jesus has given us in this text. And we also saw last week, finally, probably the best portion, or the portion we get to enjoy the most, is it said that that Christ put away sin by his sacrifice. We talked about how he completely removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He cast our sins into the depths of the sea, how they have been nailed to the cross. And so whenever Jesus returns, it says that he will do so without reference to sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. Those of us who are believers, those of us who have believed in Christ Jesus, when he returns, he's not coming to judge our sin. He has already judged that sin. He comes only 
bringing the salvation that has been promised to us. And this is where we're going to pick up today in chapter 10. We're going to cover verses 1 through 18. And this is quite a big passage of scripture. But I couldn't not go through every bit of this. In fact, I wanted to break up chapter 10 into two sections because all of this is just so good. And there's so many things today that are just... I could go in and, and kind of have you highlight several verses in your Bible today. Truths that, that you can just relieve every bit of pressure and, and strain and striving when you read these verses. So let's begin in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. Again, remember, the author has just said that when Jesus returns, it will be without reference to sin bringing salvation to those who eagerly wait for him, talking about believers there. Verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Remember, speaking specifically about the Day of Atonement there. Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I want to repeat that one so we, don't ever, so we don't miss that. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, through the prophet David, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first covenant or will in order to establish the second covenant or will. Verse 10, and by that will, the second, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'll repeat that one again. And by that will, the second covenant, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service. Remember in the Old Testament of the Old Covenant, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I'm going to repeat that one as well. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, he's going to repeat that new covenant again. We read this last week. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, where there is forgiveness of sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. I know we just read through a lot and a lot happened right there, but I hope what you picked up on is that Jesus Christ, his one sacrifice is sufficient for all time. But let's break this down a little bit. The first few verses, the first section tells us how the law is only a shadow of things to come. It can't actually perfect the people who are trying to draw near to God. And we see this because, again, they would offer these sacrifices. They would offer them to do this. But if these offerings could fully cleanse somebody, they wouldn't need to keep doing them, would they? If the blood of a bull or a goat could fully cleanse a person from all their sins, they would be done. Once the offering is made, you cleanse the person fully forever, hey, we're done. But that's not what happened under the law, was it? They had to again and again and again make these sacrifices because the offerings and sacrifices only under the old covenant were only temporary coverings. They were only atoning, making a, a temporary covering for those sins because even during that time, God was still pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice to come. The purpose of sacrifices under the Old Testament was not to remove sin. It was only to cover it for a time. Because as we're told here in verse 4, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But if we remember what we read last week, that Jesus Christ offered himself to take away our sins. It is impossible for those things to do that. And I think that's interesting for us to think about when we look at the Old Testament, when we see all those sacrifices. We've mentioned it several times in this series how there would be something offered every single day, every single year, over and over and over and over and over again. And all they're doing is, is covering cancer with a Band-Aid is, is really what that kind of is. They're not getting to the root of the issue. They're just covering, keeping God's wrath off of them for that moment but never truly being healed or fully complete. And that's why it says in verse 5, therefore, whenever Christ came, see, Jesus came to do God's will. He came to do what had been written about him in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. It says, therefore, when Christ, Jesus, who is God, he is the Son, when he came into this world, he came into the world 
He became a man. He became one of us. He came into the created world and he said prophetically through the prophet David is this section that we have. And thinking about this, thinking about all these sacrifices, there in in verse 5, it says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. You think about what what does God want? That's a question we always kind of ask from time to time. What does God want me to do? I want to do what pleases God. I want to do what God wants. Well, right here, we're told that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, God. Spoken through the prophet David, it's the words of Christ spoken through David. We're told that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Hang on, but God's the one who wrote the law, right? God's the one who created this system for all these sacrifices and put all this in place. Why would he do that if it's not what he wanted? He did it to point us to the ultimate sacrifice to come. And and we'll see that here. Uh, Think about it this way. There's a parallel that comes to the prophet Hosea 6.6. This is God speaking through the prophet. He says, for I desire mercy or loving kindness. It's the word hesed in the Hebrew. For I desire mercy, loving kindness, not sacrifice. This is Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The knowledge of God. He's not talking about just knowing facts of God. This intimate knowing God on a relational level. Knowing God rather than burnt offerings. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I think for a long time, the Jews were very confused about what God actually wanted. There's a difference in times in what God provides for us and what he takes pleasure in. And we'll see that. He said, but you prepared a body for me. This kind of goes against some of the heresies at the time when this was written in the first century. There's a lot of people who thought God could never become a man. There was, it's called Gnosticism. They think everything in spirit is good, everything physical is evil, and there's no way God could become a man. One of the things that we as Christians know for a fact is that God did become a man. His name was Christ Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He walked on this earth. He ate food. He died on the cross, was buried, raised on the third day, and ascended to heaven 40 days later. It's not a heresy that we deal with very often today, but he said that you have prepared a body for me. In verse 6, again, continuing this theme about these offerings, says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Again, I want to think about this real quick. The Jews had a, a pretty long history Generation after generation after generation from the time the law was given until Christ came. And according to this scripture here, it says in burnt offerings and sin offerings, God has taken no pleasure. Think about how it would feel if you knew that your people had been doing something for hundreds and hundreds of years that God took no pleasure in. 
but you are convinced that this is what God, this is what God wants. This is what he wants. But the scriptures actually tell us that God takes no pleasure in this. He takes no pleasure in all these burnt offerings and all these sacrifices. But we know what he does take pleasure in. His son, Christ Jesus. We remember that at Jesus' baptism, God himself even testified to this. After he was baptized in Matthew 3, verse 17, it tells us that a voice from heaven said that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This perfect son who's one with the father, who had come to do his will, who said, I have become to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The Jews had been told about this over and over and over again. Even Moses himself wrote about the Messiah. They still didn't understand it. But God never delighted in the sacrifice of animals. He delighted in his son. God created the animals. The animals are good. There's nothing wrong with them. The only reason the animals ever died is because of our sin in the first place. We were made the stewards over the entire world. We were made to rule and reign over this earth. And whenever we fell, everything under our dominion fell with us. So yeah, it makes sense. God's not pleased by us having to kill animals, slaughter innocent blood to cover our sins temporarily. Surely that doesn't please God at all. But we know he was pleased in his son. And we know this also also through the prophet Isaiah. When it says that God was pleased to bruise him. Why would it please God to bruise him and, and to crush him for our sins, for our iniquities? To make him the true offering of sin that satisfied God. So that many, every single person who believes in Christ Jesus would be fully justified by him. That he would become the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn of many brethren, that his days would be prolonged, is what Isaiah tells us. That even though he died, he would go on to live forever and us with him. And it says that the pleasure of God shall prosper in his hand. God was never pleased with all those sacrifices under the Old Testament, but he was fully, totally, and completely pleased by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. The willing sacrifice. And now that Christ has done this, he has done away with the old in order to establish the second. And if Christ has put something away, shouldn't we put it away too? If Christ has said no more of this, why would we still dabble in it? If Christ has said, this is not your yoke or burden anymore, why would you go try to shoulder up with it? Jesus said, you come to me under the new covenant, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The yoke of the old covenant would kill every single one of us. But Jesus says, coming into the new covenant, the new, the new covenant, you'll get rest. My yoke is easy. 
my burden is light. Why? Because he's done all the work. And I love this. It's by that will in verse 10 and by that will, that new covenant, that second covenant, we have been sanctified. A lot of people are real confused on this. They think one day they're going to be sanctified. There's a lot of people confused. Christians, good believing Christians who are totally saved, think that one day they're going to get sanctified. Or they think they're kind of working their way through to get to that point in sanctification. That's not what the scripture teaches us. We have to remember the word sanctify means to set apart. It's to be set apart. So whenever Christ sacrificed himself for us and we believed in that sacrifice, we believed in him, we were sanctified. As a believer, you have already been set apart. You're not getting more set apart, right? You're already in Christ Jesus. You don't get more in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. You're united to him. His spirit is united and lives within you. You're already set apart. You have been sanctified. This has already occurred. And we need to read that in the scriptures when we're reading these things. What has Christ already accomplished? Now, yes, he's still accomplishing this for new believers. Yes. But for those of us who have already believed, this is a done deal. We've been sanctified through that offering. The body of Jesus, his blood poured out unto death has removed you from the world and set you apart in himself, for himself. And nothing can snatch you away. And then also this, in verse 11, the comparison continues. The author is, again, these arguments are brilliant. I love it. In the Old Testament, the priests had to go to the, uh, the tabernacle or the temple every single day. They had to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice every single day. You know, it's interesting, we're all in here worshiping together. We've gathered to worship. Every one of you in this room is sitting down in a chair, right? There were no chairs in the early tabernacle or the temple. That's not what people did. They gathered, they stood. Especially the priests. Whenever you'd go into the holy place and the most holy place, there was no place for the priests to sit. Why? Because the priests had work to do. You don't get to sit down. You got work to do. You got more sacrifices to make. You don't get to sit down. But Jesus, after he offered his sacrifice in the true heaven, in the true presence of God, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, the highest place of honor in all the universe. He sat down because his work as a priest in the offerings was complete. He sat down because that job is finished. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of everyone who draws near to God through himself. That's the difference between the Old Testament priests and Christ Jesus. His work is complete. And he's sitting there waiting for the days when his enemies will be made a footstool. Church, one of the most wonderful things, one of the greatest hopes that we can be assured of is one day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all the universe. 
every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There is a day that Christ Jesus will return in complete victory, bringing salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. And judgment to those who refuse him. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to him. By a single offering, verse 14, he has perfected for all time. Let me repeat that. He has perfected for all time those who are being set apart. Those who are sanctified or being sanctified. This word's really hard to translate because it only appears once in the New Testament with this inflection. And what it really means is that it's a, it's a fact. It's a present fact. And the reason I say it's hard to translate is because those of us who are believers, he's already done this, but he's still doing this for everybody every day who calls on his name. Does that make sense? There's still people calling on his name that he is sanctifying, that he is setting apart, that he is giving his new life to, forgiveness to. So it's a done deal for us who've already done it, but he's still doing that for new people who come to him. So that word gets hard to translate. But I think about this, that word, um, teteleoken, if any of you have ever heard any kind of uh, Jesus on the cross, whenever he was about to give up his spirit, he said, tetelestai, or tetelestai. It means it's complete, it's finished. This word is kind of a cousin word from it. They share root words that are very similar, that mean the same thing. It means complete, perfect, mature done it's finished he has perfected for all time those who are being set apart and who is it that gets set apart every single person who calls on the name of the lord to be saved every person who believes in him is set apart and he has perfected us in his righteousness for all time i think about it like this if anybody's married, you, you might have the same situation that I have in my house. Uh, in our shower, there's at least 500 bottles of shampoo and conditioner. Amen? Can any men relate with that? You don't know where they come from, men. They're just different brands. You've never heard of some of these brands. Some of them smell good, some of them not. You've got a million different bottles. And on the back of the shampoo bottle, they have instructions, just in case you're an adult and don't know how to shampoo your hair. I think it's kind of funny, but we need to explain this to some people. It's the world we live in. And it tells you, the instructions on the shampoo bottle are lather, rinse, what's the last one? Repeat. That's a real good way to sell shampoo, right? You got to lather, rinse, repeat. You need to do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians who their faith in Christ Jesus is shampoo faith. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. That's not what the Bible says. If the Bible, if Christianity was shampoo and Jesus was our cleansing, which he is our cleansing, it would say lather, rinse, complete. Once Christ Jesus cleanses you, you are clean for all time. Because the only thing that can make you unclean is sin. But if he put away your sin... That sin can never make you unclean again. And this is one of the most wonderful things for us to realize. We're reminded there in verses 15 through 17 
Again, this new covenant. He says, I'm going to write my law, my Torah, on their hearts and their minds. All my teachings, all my precepts, all my ways. In their hearts and their minds. This is a change from within. The new heart, the new spirit. God completely changing us. And he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Why? Because he has dealt with them. They are dead and gone, nailed to that cross. Your sins are as dead, surely, as Christ Jesus himself died. And you are forgiven, surely, as Christ Jesus is alive. Because this is what verse 18 tells us. Where there is forgiveness of these, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. So how do I know that I am 100% completely forever forgiven of all my sins for all time? Because Christ Jesus will never die again. And if you know that Christ Jesus lives forever on your behalf, then you can know that you are surely forgiven because God will never require another sacrifice. That is your security. That is your hope. As surely as Christ died, so your sins have been paid for. And as surely as Christ lives, you live forgiven. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are almost speechless when we consider the depths of your forgiveness. When we consider the magnitude of your sacrifice, when we think about all that you have done for us, all that you have freed us from, God. We who were slaves to sin are now your free sons and daughters alive in Christ Jesus. And it's because of him, Lord, that we receive all these benefits that we keep reading about each and every week, God. Because of his blood, because of his sacrifice, because of your grace, your forgiveness is not fleeting, but it's forever. And we believe, we say yes and amen that by one sacrifice you have perfected for all time every single person who is sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are amazed by this, God. We are astounded by this. We are inspired by this. Such great love, such great mercy, such great kindness changes everything about who we are. And the fact that it's a free gift is even more astounding, God, that you would give this to any person, anywhere, throughout any time, any place, anyone who calls on the name of your son, Jesus, for forgiveness. All we have to do is look to you 
call upon your name and you forgive us, Lord. It's such a wonderful and humbling thought that our Savior has done this for us. That he has accomplished all this so that we can live lives that are free from the reign of sin. That we can live lives that are free unto you, God. Lord, I pray we never forget these truths. I pray that you open our minds and our hearts to understand them more and more and more deeply. That this is all about you. This is all about your sacrifice, all about your love, and all about your life. I pray that that life in us is stirred. God, we are just amazed at you. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you or has not called upon your name to be saved. I pray, God, that today they would cast their eyes upon your son, Jesus, and be forgiven of all their sin, and that they would come to new life in him. We pray this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.